This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Today's sermon text comes from Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So our text begins this way. O foolish, stupid, idiotic Galatians. And so I think in light of that, and in light of the fact that it's been six weeks since we were uh, in the book of Galatians, as we took that break for Advent, I think it's probably wise for us to go back and do some extensive review. The Apostle Paul, in his first missionary journey, planted uh, churches uh, in southern Galatia, what is now southern Turkey. And and after Paul moved on from that region, which was his practice, uh, false teachers infiltrated the same churches, which was their practice. And these false teachers, they attacked Paul's apostleship and they attacked Paul's message. And by by preaching a different gospel than Paul, uh, these teachers caused significant confusion and significant chaos in the hearts and the lives and in the community of these baby Christians. And so Paul hears that the, uh, the teachers have visited Galatia, and he hears of the disastrous effects of their visit, and in response, uh, he writes the letter of Galatians uh, to the churches of Galatia. And so if you weren't uh, with us in the fall, you missed our study in the first two chapters of Galatians, wherein uh, Paul defends his apostleship, Paul describes his relationship with Peter, and Paul defines yet again the gospel. So first, Paul defended his apostleship. Paul, Paul told the Galatians that Jesus himself had appeared to him and had trained him, and that he, like the other apostles, had been commissioned directly by Jesus to go to the Gentiles with the gospel. And then Paul in chapter 2 tells the Galatians that he and Peter, the apostle Peter, are on the same page when it comes to the gospels. When it comes to the gospel that is Paul's theology. And so what we can gain from reading the book of Galatians is that the false teachers were saying that Paul's message was contrary to Peter's. And Paul says, "Listen, I didn't need Peter's approval. I was commissioned by Jesus." But after 14 years of ministry, I went up and I saw Peter, and after consulting privately with he and Barnabas, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They didn't want to to add anything to my gospel. They said the gospel I'm preaching is the gospel they're preaching. 
And then finally, at the end of chapter 2, Paul proactively puts forth his gospel, uh, the good news, yet again. In very clear and very redundant terms, Paul preaches this to the Galatians through the epistle. Justification by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the way in which Paul writes the letter clues us into the message that was preached by the false teachers... In summary, Paul preached a message of mercy and grace. Uh, In summary, the false teachers preached a message of mercy and then works. Listen very closely. Paul said that in Jesus, God will forgive you no matter what you've done. That's mercy. And God will love you, accept you, and bless you in the future regardless of what you do. That's grace. On the other hand, and this is why it was so confusing to the Galatians, the false teacher said that with Jesus, your past can be forgiven, but your future blessing and your future acceptance and and the future love of God is based not on Jesus, but your own works. And so Paul said, no, mercy, then grace, mercy and grace. The false teacher said, no, mercy, then works, mercy and works. Paul taught that that faith in Jesus was all a person needed for salvation, past, present, and future. The, The false teachers taught that Jesus was a very good start, but insufficient in and of himself to take you to a complete salvation. Paul taught that that works of the law flowed from justification, that, that works of the law were part of God's salvation of us. The false teachers taught that that our righteous deeds were part of the equation that brought us justification. As you read Galatians, you can actually see the facts of a debate and you can see the facts in the debate as you read. In fact, you can see it in our passage, the one just read to you as well. You can begin to perceive the false teacher's message when you read Paul's words. They would have said this, Jesus is a good beginning but you need to take responsibility from here. And you in your flesh need to do works of the law. Jesus mercifully got you to this place and he got you started. He even came towards you. But now you need to be circumcised. Now you need to obey the ceremonial law. Now you need to become culturally Jewish if you wanna really be a part of this family and really be a child of Abraham. And so this is what's happening in Galatia. This is what's happening among the Galatians. This is what's happening in the letter of Galatians. In chapters one and two, Paul is rescuing them from the false teachers. Paul is reclaiming them from heresy. Paul is proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus Christ to them yet again. He is pulling them back from works righteousness. He is pulling them back from a theology and a way of living that believes I've got to do something to keep God happy with me. Chapters one and two are all about the rescue of the Galatians. But beginning in chapter three, Paul begins to take a different angle. Instead of speaking to the Galatians about false teachers, Paul in chapter three begins to speak to the Galatians about the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. So in our passage, Paul says to the Galatians, catch this you could have handled this attack better. You could have handled this whole thing yourself. In you and among you were and are all the resources needed to handle this situation. 
And you see, if Paul only wanted to rescue them, he would have said goodbye after chapters one and two. But because Paul wanted to disciple them, he kept writing. Two points this morning on how the Galatians could have handled this situation with the false teachers all by themselves. Paul tells the Galatians that and what? That, that they could have been thinking and what? What they could have been thinking about. So first, Paul tells the Galatians that they could have been thinking Again, verse one, oh foolish Galatians. It's hard for me to say it accurately because I want to laugh. You may have heard in the past that this is a term of endearment, that we should hear it something like this, oh dear, silly, cute Galatians. Uh, Some, in order to avoid the offense that's clearly in it, they they tell us to hear it this way. But, But this line of reasoning is not warranted in the text. First, the sentence is an exclamation. The English word O translates a Greek interjection that denotes exclamation. That's why the translators rightly put an exclamation point at the end of the phrase. And second, Paul says it again in verse three this way, are you so foolish? You idiot, in verse one, might be cute. But when you add, you're such a big idiot, in verse three, the cuteness goes away. What is Paul saying? There are two Greek words often translated as fool in the English. First, there's the Greek word maros or moros, M-O-R-O-S. It describes one with an inability to think. Second, the Greek word used here, anoetos, is the word used to describe a person who fails to use the ability that they have to think. Moros, from which... We get our word moron is an inability to think. Anoetos is the refusal to think. And twice Paul calls them foolish. He says that they could have been thinking. Paul couldn't care less about offending the Gentiles excuse me, the Galatians who are Gentiles. He couldn't care less about offending them. He is trying to disciple them. Some will quote Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount at this point, and they'll say, well, Jesus said that we shouldn't call each other fools. So either Paul is sinning here or Paul's being playful. But what you have to realize is that Jesus uses moros in Matthew 5, and he himself calls two of his own disciples fools in Luke 24. So Paul isn't violating Jesus' command, the one given in Matthew 5. He's not saying they can't think. That, that would be insulting and degrading and dehumanizing and wrong. He's not saying they can't think. He's saying they didn't think, although they knew how. It may be offensive to hear this, but since Jesus did it, it can't by definition be wrong. Luke 24. Essentially, Paul is saying in our passage, put your thinking cap on. Not only does Paul call them twice non-thinkers who could, verses one and three, in verses one through five, look at his rhetoric. Six questions in five verses. Why doesn't he just tell them the truth? Why does he ask them for the truth? He wants them to think. If you look down at verse seven, Paul commands, best translated, understand or perceive that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
He commands them to think themselves to a place where they understand. He is saying that they could have been thinking. Now, that said, consider this. Don't be so affected or offended by the first three words of verse one that you're not alarmed by the next four. Look at verse one. Don't be so affected or offended by, oh, idiotic Galatians, exclamation point, that you're not alarmed by who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell on you? The Bible is clear. What a person knows, thinks, and understands about the gospel is influenced by and impacted by spiritual realities and spiritual beings. The Bible couldn't be more clear. Here's a few examples. To start, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has to, if you will, turn the lights on in our hearts and in our minds if we're gonna understand the word. This is why every Sunday we pray the prayer of illumination prior to hearing the sermon text read. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't turn the lights on, we can't understand. Also, Paul says to to, to, to Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy 2, 7, I think, Paul says to Timothy, think over the scriptures and the Lord will give you understanding. Think about that. Timothy is responsible to think, but it's mysteriously and graciously the work of the Holy Spirit if he understands. The Bible's clear for us to understand the gospel. God, 1 John 4, by his ministering spirits are involved. Uh, Soberly, on the other side of the coin, Jesus says in Mark 4 in the parable of the sower that that a bird, like, like a bird, devouring seed off of a path, Satan takes the word of the gospel out of the mind and out of the heart of unbelievers. Uh, Jesus says that an unbeliever can hear the gospel message and Satan can delete the file and can make it as if they never heard it. And John, in that same passage in 1 John 4, clearly teaches that behind false teaching is demonic activity. Activity. What's my point? The Galatians had lost track of the gospel, the genuine gospel, living in fear, anxiety, and unbelief. And Paul says two things about that. First, he exclaims, you stopped thinking. And second, he asks a real question, a question that he knows the answer for. Who has bewitched you? Every question in this text is a question that Paul knows the answer for. Every answer is a theological answer. In our culture, we hear this question and and we think, oh, that's slang. Or, oh, that's hyperbolic thinking. Or, oh, that's unsophisticated for 2,000 years ago. But in that culture and in many cultures, many sophisticated cultures around the world today, Christians heard that and they hear this and they say, that's a good question with a real answer. Hear this. Every reference to the false teachers in Galatians is plural, but the who in this verse is singular. In other words, the answer to Paul's question is not the false teachers. The false teachers may may have been the means by which they were bewitched, but they were not the source of the spell. That's Satan. John Stott one of the most well-respected pastors and theologians of the 20th century wrote this in his commentary, uh, a commentary known as the message of Galatians. I'm gonna put it on the screen for you now. Perhaps he uses the singular who because behind these false teachers, he detects the activity of the devil himself. Much of our Christian stupidity, John Stott's words, not mine, 
Much of our Christian stupidity in grasping and applying the gospel may be due to the spells which he casts. Don't be so affected by the first three words of verse one that you're not alarmed or at least sobered by the next four. But don't forget the point. The point is that they could have been thinking. Now think about it. Paul is saying here that Satan to some degree is involved. If he's not saying that here, he clearly says it elsewhere and the Bible clearly teaches that reality. But what does Paul call for? Not an exorcism, not a seance, not a laying on of hands, not a season of prayer, although I'm not opposed to any of those things except the seance. Uh, Paul says, think. The solution here is your thinking cap. Paul is saying that when we stop thinking, we're vulnerable to the attack and the influence of the devil. And for us, the result of that influence is to lose touch with the goodness and the grace of the gospel and to increasingly live as if we have to do something to keep this relationship with God. Paul says that's being bewitched, not foaming at the mouth. I think C.S. Lewis Summarize well the New Testament's teaching on unseen spiritual realities and the preface, uh, a, a later preface uh, to an earlier book that he wrote called The Screwtape Letters. Essentially, Lewis said this, Satan wins when we think too little or when we think too much about him and about his impact on our lives. Satan wins when we think too much or too little about him. And Lewis advocates that we be alert to Satan's activity, not aloof to it, nor paralyzed by it, but alert to it. Practically, I think not seeing Paul's question as a real question is thinking too little about Satan's real impact on our real lives. But at the same time, being scared or paralyzed by this real question is to think too much. Paul says, here's your path forward in this spiritual battle. Think. Paul says to the Galatians, after rescuing them, he doesn't call them fools right away. He says grace and peace. He he says Jesus loves you. He says God's for you. And then when he gets them back on his team, he says, you fools. You could have been thinking. Had you been thinking, you wouldn't have been bewitched and you wouldn't have needed rescue. So secondly, what what could they have been thinking about? Common sense tells us that they can't just think about anything. They can't just think about the 1984 Atlanta Braves, the 2014 BCS championship. They've got to be thinking about something specific if they're going to win in this battle. Thinking is not enough. Paul says you could have been thinking about your experience, verses 2 through 5, the scriptures, verses 6 and 7, and the cross, verse 1. First, uh, they could have been thinking about their own experience. Again, let me reset the conversation for you. The debate between Paul and the false teachers is over justification. The debate is over when a person is declared righteous by God. When a person is declared by God to be welcomed into his presence. And Paul had preached the good news of Jesus Christ to the Galatians. Paul says, you believed that you were righteous and justified and accepted and beloved. You believed this in your faith in Jesus Christ. And then Paul leaves town and the Judaizers, the false teachers, they show up and they tell them that this is not truly, and they tell the Galatians, you're not truly and fully justified yet. You're certainly on your way, but you haven't arrived 
And the false teachers are saying, Paul got it wrong. You're not yet declared righteous by God. You have to get circumcised and you have to obey the law and you have to become a Jew. And if at the end of your life you want to be declared righteous by God, you have to do these things. Jesus is your start, but he can't get you there. And the false teachers are saying, you can't know if you're fit for God's presence until the very end. The false teachers are saying, live in fear, live in anxiety, live in worry. Paul is saying freedom and joy and hope. Don't listen to Paul. And Paul says, y'all are idiots. First, could you have been thinking a little bit about your experiences? Pick up in verse two. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Hearing with faith is a reference back to the preaching of the gospel in verse one. Now, I want you to know there's incredible theology here. I hope to unpack it uh, next week and the week after. I actually hope to spend two more weeks on this first section of Galatians 3. But for now, just look at what Paul asked them from 50,000 feet. He says, you could have been thinking about your experiences. Paul says, when and how did you experience the Holy Spirit at the beginning? Did you experience him by obeying or did you experience him by believing? Paul's like, the answer is believing. Paul said, you experienced the Holy Spirit prior to ever meeting the false teachers. Prior to ever even thinking about circumcising yourself, you had enjoyed the Holy Spirit. Paul says, God entered into relationship with you by by sending his spirit to dwell inside of you. And he's thinking all you had to do to debunk their argument is to think about your own experience. They're saying, you can't know until the end if you're fit for God's presence. Paul goes, hello, You've already experienced God's presence, you idiot. Consider verse three again. Are you so foolish? Having begun the Christian life by the gracious provision of the spirit, are you now gonna bring things to completion by the flesh? Paul says, does it make any sense to you that God would come to you in mercy and grace and initiate this salvific relationship with you by his spirit and bless you apart from anything you've ever done? Does it make any sense to then say that you've got to do something to stay in the relationship? Idiots! It's not to say that the Galatians won't do acts of obedience in the future, but Paul's going to call those acts of obedience what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. He is going to say, you don't have to do anything to be in relationship with God. You're going to do things because God's going to enter into you and take you into relationship. Look at verse 5. We know from the book that most, if not all, of the Galatian males had to this point refrained from being circumcised. And Paul essentially says in verse 5, God is still supplying you with the Spirit. God is still working powerful miracles among you. Why would you think about being circumcised? Does he who supplies, present tense, the spirit to you and present tense work miracles among you do so because you've been circumcised or because you believed? Read verse four. Did you experience so many things in vain to no effect? If indeed it was to no effect. And so you're going to see in your worship folder uh, insert uh, that the word experience is in brackets. And that's because the current ESV translation that we use uses the word suffer uh, in this verse. But in the footnote it says or experience. When the ESV says or another word at the bottom, that means the committee couldn't decide which word to give you. And either is sufficient. 
In this particular instance, the word at the core means experience, but often in the New Testament, it's rendered suffering because of the context. It seems pretty obvious to me that receiving the Holy Spirit and watching God do amazing miracles is what you would call an experience and not a suffering. That's why I gave it to you in brackets. But don't miss the point. Paul is saying, did you experience all these things to no effect? Paul is presuming that they could have been thinking about their experience, that they would have benefited from thinking about what has happened to them so far in life. Don't miss this. In order to benefit fully from the experience of God's grace, you have to stop and think about your experience. The experience itself is not the full benefit. Paul is saying, slow down. Think about your life. He's saying you're experiencing justification right now. He is saying that that experience will not have its full effect, but in some degree will be in vain and to no effect if you don't stop and think about it as you could. The Bible calls the fool stubborn and hard-hearted. Hard-heartedness in the Bible, especially in the four gospels, is this. This is hard-heartedness. Not allowing your past experiences of God's faithfulness to bolster your present faith as you look to the uncertain future. Hard-heartedness is not allowing your past experiences of God's faithfulness to bolster your present faith as you look to the uncertain future. Paul is saying God has been loving you and God has been faithful to you. How could you ever entertain this idea that you have to do something to gain his future love and blessing? And I know it's simple on paper. If you just stop and look at Galatians 3, 1 through 7, it's quite simple theoretically. But in truth, as I look at my life, I have to say, oh, foolish Ted, who has bewitched you? In our context, this is not a theological conversation over justification. In our context, this is a functional anxiety in our lives that reveals that we don't believe this. It's not a theoretical conversation. It's a functional anxiety. Two examples from my life. First, God has yet again led me through yet another year and provided abundantly for me and my family. And yet I already find myself anxious about his provision in 2014. And Paul says, you fool. Stop and think about your past experiences so that they can have effect on your present view of the future to come. Soften your heart the faithfulness of God. Second, I'm standing before you preaching another sermon given by God to you through me. It's not the best sermon I've ever preached. It's not the best sermon you could be listening to right now in this city, but it's a sermon from God to you through, through me. And yet all week and all night long, I am anxious and I am convinced that God will give me absolutely nothing to say to you this morning. And Paul says, you fool, stop And think about the experience of God's grace for the past six years. God has chosen to provide week in and week out. Note this, the benefit has been experienced more by you than it has been by me because the fullness of the benefit is only experienced by me if I will stop and think about it. God is still graciously providing for the Galatians. Look at verse five. Paul says, you deserted him in chapter one, verse six. But Paul says in verse five, he's still pouring himself out on you and he is still working powerfully among you. He's saying, stop and think so that that benefit can be yours. 
our faithlessness does not deter the faithfulness of God. Now there are these two more realities. We'll go over them much more quickly. Two more realities that the Galatians could have been thinking about that would have kept them from being bewitched, that would have kept them from playing the fool. Not only does Paul say, I want you to think about your your experience, he says, I want you to think about the scriptures. This will prove the false teachers wrong. So evidently, the false teachers told the Galatians that they had to be circumcised to be a part of God's family. Evidently, they said, consider Abraham. God did show up to Abraham. God did initiate a relationship with Abraham. But Abraham had to get circumcised to be declared righteous. And evidently, the false teachers are saying, if you want to be a son of Abraham, if you want to truly be in this family, you have to be circumcised. But Paul says to the Galatians, while you were listening to them, you could have been thinking about the scriptures. The scriptures are really clear as to when Abraham was justified. Look at verse 6. Paul is quoting Genesis 15, 6. We'll look at this more next week as Paul quotes four or five more passages in the next five or six verses. But Paul says, just as Abraham, and he quotes Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Then he says in verse 7, understand, it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And Paul is saying, think about the scriptures. Before Abraham was ever circumcised, he was declared righteous by God because he believed God's promises. So what was, what was the means by which Abraham was declared righteous? It was not his circumcision or his, his faithfulness until the end of his life. It was God showing up and declaring him righteous the first day he believed. Lastly for today, the Galatians, they could have avoided this confusion, this chaos. They they, they could have avoided this bewitching and this folly if they would have been thinking about the cross. Look at verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now think, the Galatians were not there in Jerusalem that day that Jesus died the horrific death of the cross. They didn't physically see the crucifixion. You can know that Paul is talking about the eyes of their imagination and the eyes of their heart because in the next verse he says they hear with faith. And so Paul is saying, I preached Christ to you. I preached Christ on the, on the cross to you. And you heard and you believed. But more than that, look at verse 1. He says Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's a Greek word from which we get our English word graphic. Crucifixion has been proven to be the most horrific form of execution in the history of man. Paul is saying, I graphically portrayed Christ to you on the cross. And if you would have kept that in your eye, the nonsense about justification by works would have been quickly dismissed. Paul is saying to us in our anxiety and in our fear and in our unbelief, he's saying, don't lose sight of Jesus ravaged on the cross for you. Jesus climbs up on the cross to die for our sins. After the perfect life, he died the horrific death that sinners deserve so that sinners don't have to die for their own sins. Further in taking his wickedness, our wickedness upon himself, he gives us his righteousness. This is what Paul means in verse 6. He says that through faith, we like Abraham have righteousness counted or imputed to us, credited to our account. Paul is saying, keep in your mind's eye Jesus on the cross and there your wickedness credited to him and his righteousness given to you. 
Paul says you have to forget about, you have to lose sight of, you have to not think about the cross to ever be bewitched, to ever play the fool, to ever live in anxiety and fear. He says, Jesus was stripped naked so that you could be clothed. Jesus endured horrific eternal pain so that you could eternally enjoy pleasure. Jesus was abandoned by God so that God could forever supply himself to you by grace. Do you struggle to believe that God is not mad at you? If so, you have lost sight of how mad God was with Jesus as he wore your sin on the cross. Do you struggle to believe that God loves you? If so, you've lost sight of how much God loved his son when his son obediently climbed onto the cross and gave you his record. Do you, like me, struggle to believe that God will forever be with you and God will forever be for you? Paul is saying, sit down and think about these things today. Your experience, the scriptures, and the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to, I want to sing, but I won't. Forsake, for the sake of my friends. But great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. 